1: Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home
2: Depot. How doers get more done. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu.
1: The Large Nerdron Collider Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio.
3: To the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me as always is internet darling Jonathan Strickland. I'm a
1: darling. You are. And Ariel, yes? I got a question for you. Okay, Ariel, here's your question Kirk Picard, Pike Cisco, Janeway or Archer, and I know I could have added more in there, but I gave up.
3: Um. Mm, ah. Mm, ah. I have a
1: bet. Picard with the oh,
3: with the close second of Cisco, because Deep Space Nine is my favorite series.
1: I thought I thought for sure you were going to pick Cisco. I was. I thought for sure. I was. I was. Uh, I was really betting on it.
3: I kind of had a crush on Picard, so
1: okay so you got a thing for bald that's guys. that's what I mean Ariel I'm married so <laughs> I mean
3: no like because Patrick Stewart is very endearing and kind of dramatic and at the time he was younger so he wasn't that old
1: I mean I'm all these things you're saying apply to me too Ariel I mean you know it this is our Valentine's Day episode if you've got something to say just mm-hmm. say it you know I mean Jonathan yeah
3: you I love you as a friend, my friend. Okay, uh, who is your fair. favorite?
1: Um, you know what? Captain. I think I think um, I think I'm also gonna go with Picard. Uh, like I I like Kirk. Um, I thought Cisco was interesting. Um, I didn't watch too much of Voyager or Enterprise, so while I put Janeway and Archer on there, I couldn't really pick them in good conscience just because I haven't seen enough stuff with them Mm -hmm. as captain. So I guess I'm going to go with Picard as well. I thought Picard was fantastic. He was fairly consistent in the next generation Mm -hmm. writing. Like he, he was mostly of the mind who of someone who follows the rule of the law. You know, he, he doesn't break outside of it. He's very, uh, uh, very strict in that, in that way. Like he doesn't want people to go outside of the rules of the federation. And then there's a bit of a turn, you know, kind of after he gets uh, Borgified spoiler um, where he gets, he gets a little more fast and loose with some of the rules and even challenges them at times, but mostly he was fairly consistent every now and then you got an episode where you're like, I don't feel like the person who wrote this one has ever watched any other next generation episodes, (laughs) but that was the exception, not the rule.
3: I, I mean I think I think that's exactly it. You know, I one, he was my first captain. I, I did watch some original series as a kid, but next Shen was what I grew up with first. Uh, but he he could shenan when he needed to. and that's endearing. Uh, we're gonna talk about fictional crushes later on in this episode, and a lot of mine are a little bit a little bit zany and, and up for the shenan. so I like
1: the rogue types. I can't wait till we go through that list and reveal embarrassing truths about ourselves. But before we get to any of that, we've got some headlines to get through, right?
3: Yes. And the first one is what? Is a headline I didn't expect to be excited about, but uh, I'm very, very excited about it, which is Marvel Studios now has a writer for their new Blade movie. And that writer is Stacey Osei Kafour. And uh, she is notable because not only is she the first black woman to write a Marvel movie for the MCU, but she wrote the recent miniseries Watchmen, which was phenomenal.
1: Yes, she's a a notable playwright as well. So she's got a long history Mm -hmm. in uh, writing for performance. We do not yet have a director attached to this project, but we do know that Uh, that Marvel seems to be taking real steps to try and actually walk the walk when it comes to promoting diversity in their projects. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. seeing this reflected in a lot of different Marvel titles, which spoiler, not spoiler, but, you know, news alert for everybody. That was not the norm for superhero movies for like, decades. It was essentially white dudes who were writing and directing films, whether or not the protagonist was white. It was very rare that you had someone who Mm -hmm. wasn't a white dude uh, writing or directing one of these movies. So we're starting to see that change. And I'm really excited because when you bring more voices to the table to be able to tell these kind of stories, you get new stories. You're not retreading the same stuff we've seen a billion times. So I think that that's a fantastic change and one that's going to benefit tons of people, Um, you know, least of all, like the the audience. I mean, we're going to get some pretty cool stories, I think.
3: Yeah, I do, too. Uh, And, you know, I'm I'm excited about Blade because it's been a long time since we got the first Blade movies, which were kitschy and fun. Um, and I also like Mahershala Ali, who is playing Blade. And so I, I just I think that this is a really uh, jackpot team to put this story together.
1: I just hope they they cast more professional wrestlers as like the heavies, you know, like Triple H or Edge or something and get, get some more big, that big, be big, beefy dudes to get hacked to pieces by Blade. That's what I'm hoping for.
3: <laughs> that would be fun. Uh So our next story is also Marvel. And that's uh, for anybody who watched the Super Bowl
1: or wait, wait, anything around it. Wait, wait, wait. The Super Bowl. I thought it was the superb owl.
3: Six of one, half a dozen of the other. Oh, man.
1: No wonder I didn't see anything.
3: Just. Just because the weekend's dance crew looked like the Court of Owls from Batman. (laughs) doesn't I'll, make the entire event owl themed. I'll take
1: your word for it. All I know is Tom Brady won a game. That's all I know about it. But, but, uh, but he did. but I do Again. I have watched the the trailer that you're you were desperately trying to set up as I was derailing you. And that trailer, of course, <laughs> yes. is for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, it's a series that is coming to Disney Plus. It was originally supposed to come out before WandaVision. Uh, But but Mm -hmm. it got pushed back due to covid were delays in the production. And now we're going to see it come to Disney Plus March 19th. We got a trailer during the superb owl and it was, uh, uh, you know, a more expansive trailer than what we saw with the teaser. And honestly, Mm -hmm. this one got me more excited for the series than the teaser did.
3: That's what I was going to ask. Cause I know after we watched the teaser, both you and I felt kind of lukewarm on the series, both having expected to be super excited about it. This one had a lot more humor, it had a lot more excitement. We saw Baron Zumo come in, uh, and then Peggy Carter's daughter, Sharon.
1: Sharon Carter. Sharon? Yeah.
3: Sharon Carter come in. And so we know a lot more of the players. We got to see a lot more of the back and forth. I'm much more excited about this series now, too. Yeah. And,
1: and, You know the fact that we get characters who the last time we saw these characters were in Captain America: Civil War, so it was you know Mm -hmm. quite some time ago in the Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline. Because you got to remember that five years pass between uh, the Infinity War and Endgame, so quite Mm -hmm. a bit of time has passed. You get to I'm I'm assuming we're going to get to learn how these characters have been navigating their worlds. Uh, Sharon Carter apparently has been largely in hiding since Civil War because you know she kind of did some things that her nation would think of as treasonous in helping captain america during that time. So, I'm mm-hmm. very very eager to see more about this. The humor as you point out looked like you know, it looked more on forum. One of the interesting things I saw when I was reading up on the series was that there appeared to be some sort of uh uh response to to fans who for some reason, weren't big fans of WandaVision. They felt like it was too much of a departure, and this looks like it's more of a return Mm -hmm. to form for MCU. To me, that's why I liked WandaVision so much.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Because it was
1: new and different, whereas I don't mind the return to form, but that to me is not a positive. It's more like, I like this even though it looks like more of the same.
3: I agree. I I feel like WandaVision was a nice like amuse bouche <laughs> to refresh my palate from eating a lot of macaroni and cheese. I love macaroni and cheese, but if I eat too much of it, I get really tired of it. So she was so WandaVision is just like this nice light break. Well, it's not really light, but this nice break <laughs> from it yeah. before we go back in. Uh, yeah. something else that I hope will be a a nice fun departure from the normal Marvel milieu is this upcoming spinoff series that's being pitched. Jonathan, why don't you talk about this? Cause,
1: cause I know the guy.
3: Cause you know the guy. Okay. Yeah.
1: So we're talking about Stephen Ford, who is an actor, a writer and a director. He uh, is someone that I've met at a CES a few years ago. We have a, a mutual friend and um, he was hanging out with this mutual friend when I came by to hang out with this mutual friend. So, by force of association we got to know each other. It's a cool dude, and he tweeted about how he thought uh, Jimmy Woo, the the FBI character who is in Ant-Man and also in WandaVision, should get his own spinoff series in something along the style of The X-Files, so someone who's investigating weird uh phenomena in the Marvel universe. And I responded immediately. I was like, "This to me sounds like a slam dunk because it reminds me a lot of Agent Coulson, how that character started as a, a supporting character. Fans really started to latch on to him and he ended up becoming the linchpin for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series. And this could be mm-hmm. kind of a successor to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in that regard. You know, following a, a normal human character, navigating the strange supernatural and super powerful world of Marvel. And uh, so I was totally on board, and it turns out that apparently, just by making that tweet and being related to the the industry, he ended up getting uh, some interest from Marvel and it was apparently invited to pitch his idea more formally, and so this past weekend, that's what he was working on. Uh, I don't know any more details, I haven't chatted with him about it. In fact, I didn't even know that it had gone that extra step until you, Ariel, had put this story in our lineup and you didn't even know that I knew the guy.
3: I didn't, but I'm also excited because Randall Park who plays agent Wu is totally on board for this. So uh, I really hope it happens. I realize some people might go like, we're saying not more general Marvel feel. Some people might go, "Uh, I've had enough X files feel shows, but I think it could be really baller.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, there's no telling how, what kind of tone this would have. You figure that there would be some sort of, you know, kind of lighthearted nature to it because the character of Wu has got that kind of, of, of feel about him. Like he always seems pretty upbeat Mm -hmm. and kind of funny while also being a little geeky. Um, so I really love his, his portrayal of the character, both in the Ant-Man films and in WandaVision. He's, I think he's one of the bright spots consistently. And, uh, and so I, I, I yeah. would love to see a full series with him as the, the starring role.
3: I agree. And our final story, uh, for this new segment is about a series that I like with a central character that I like mass effect. Yeah. Uh, and mass effect is coming out with a new legendary edition of all three of the games, original games.
1: Yeah. Not the, not the follow up that got Absolutely lambasted for all of the uh, the the bugs and and glitches and uh, story elements, but the original trilogy of Mass Effect games. Uh, and apparently, in this new remaster, some of the scenes are going to be, uh, you know, not not as not as gratuitous in the the lingering on certain attributes of the human body or sometimes alien body. So I guess, uh, the show, the series is no longer going to be ass effect.
3: <laughs> yeah, they they said, while they weren't super concerned with the camera angles. They also figured that gratuitous butt shots didn't really match up with 2021's audience. And it didn't hurt the story any to adjust the camera angle just a little bit. Yeah,
1: I, I kind of. OK, so I kind of want to see the same treatment given to We were just talking about the MCU, some of Marvel films, because Mm -hmm. whenever there was a Marvel movie featuring Black Widow, you could guarantee that there was going to be at least a half dozen shots that really focused on her rear end, Um, especially the Joss Whedon ones. Uh, So I I actually, as it was happening, I was like, this is a little unnecessary. (laughs) I can see exactly what's going on here, and I don't think it's really needed. Uh and I'm not a prude or anything. Mm-hmm. I just thought like this is kind of this feels kind of creepy to me. It feels a little sleazy. So the same sort of thing here, I think it's this idea that that uh the way that we depict characters in media is undergoing a massive change, an over overdue change because of uh changing sensibilities. And this is an opportunity to kind of address some things that again, like you were saying, Ariel. It's not that it was over the top. It wasn't like zooming in. It wasn't yeah. like one of the one of those beach volleyball games or anything like that. But it was probably not really needed the way it was framed up.
3: It wasn't. And some of it is just like based around, uh, for instance, if you play a female shepherd and you decide to wear a dress as that character, when you sit in a chair, you sit in the chair the same way that a male shepherd sits in the chair, which is with your legs split open, man, yeah, which man, is not super flattering. <laughs> Ma'am spreading, <laughs> ma'am spread. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't because unlike a movie where they'd have to reshoot or pick a different camera angle for this, they can't change the animations, but they can change where the, the visuals focus. Just moving it up a little bit makes it so much more flattering. I look forward to it. This game, the remastering, looks beautiful. I don't really need to play all three games again, but I'm really, really tempted by this. So,
1: yes, well, that's our our final story for this this headline section, although we are going to mention before we go to break, uh, because this will come back to play when we do our mashup at the end of the episode. One other quick item is that Cinderella, the Rodgers and Hammerstein version, the musical that uh, Brandy did many years ago with Whitney Houston as well, is coming to Disney Plus. And we thought it was important we mention it cause she's going to show up again in our mashup.
3: Yes.
0: But first, we're going to take a quick break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs>
1: We're, our next episode comes out after Valentine's Day. Uh, right now, it's before. Uh, it comes out before. No, no. Our next episode. Out- our next episode comes out oh, after our next, Valentine's not Day. Not this episode. Not the one we're not the one we're recording right now. <laughs> okay. I mean the one the one that we'll sit down and record next <laughs> Monday comes out after Valentine's Day, which means that we are doing our Valentine's Day episode a few days early, you know, that that's on Sunday, we're coming out on Wednesday, mm-hmm. but uh, we thought that some a fun discussion, potentially fun discussion, would be to go over five uh, crushes that we have had on fictional characters. Originally, Ariel had pitched the idea of animated characters, but I'm not a weirdo, so I've never had... <laughs> that's that that came out wrong i have never as far as i know i've never had a crush on an anime maybe jessica rabbit but let's be honest i was going through a special time in my life (laughs) when who framed roger rabbit came out so i'm not gonna count that one so we're gonna go with fictional crushes which may or may not be animated mine are all live action um Mm -hmm. Who would you like to go first? Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I'll I'll go first. Tell you what. Uh, I'll go first for this and you go first for the mashup when we get to it.
3: Okay. Okay. But first I want to say having a crush on a cartoon character is not necessarily creepy. You know, I know so many of my guy friends said that when they were young, they had a crush on Gadget from Rescue Rangers or Penny from Inspector Gadget. It wasn't anything tawdry. Penny,
1: come on. When
3: They were chill... They were children watching the show who had a little child crush I thought you were gonna, on this other child. I thought you
1: were going to tell me it was going to be that that rabbit from Space Jam. Um,
3: no, but that too. Lola? Yes. Okay, I've
1: never I've never seen Space Jam. So all right. So my first two crushes, I'll do my first one, but my first two. So, you know, I've ordered these sort of chronologically when I encountered them. Uh, But the first two I both I I saw when I was a little kid. Uh, But the I went ahead and ordered them chronologically as to when the properties came out. So my first crush is Mary Ann Summers from Gilligan's Island. Of course. Yeah, Uh, she's the only Summers. So Buffy, sorry about that. You don't make the list. Mary Ann Summers makes the list as she was girl next door, uh, uh, a girl from Kansas who wins a contest. That's why she's on that three-hour tour on the, the minnow, mm-hmm. which of course ends up being uh, uh, washed up on a shore of a desert, uncharted desert isle. And, uh, and she mm-hmm. was sort of the, the grounded, sensible character in the show. She was the more sensible foil to Ginger, the movie star. And uh, had that had that farm girl, girl next door kind of appearance to her that as a kid, I just thought was I thought she was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. And I had a massive crush on her as a child.
3: She she is gorgeous. And I I loved her character the best on Gilligan's Island myself. I didn't have a crush on her, but I loved her because she didn't have ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. She was very genuine in her actions. So great choice.
1: Okay, your Not first. Not that I'm choice. judging
3: you, but great
1: choice. Yeah, I'll be judging oh. you. So go. Oh, ahead. we're
3: going back and forth. Yeah. Um. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm gonna start with the three that I'm certain of because there's a whole bunch that I like. I have this long list. My crushes changed so much throughout my childhood and young adult years, and I guess even now I crush on characters. So, um, my first one is going to be Rosencrantz from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. The one with Tim Roth and Gary Oldman because he was just adorable and sweet and creative and always like experimenting and he was a cutie. I've had, have such a crush on that character that I still think Gary Oldman is cute to this day uh, because he played the character. I was about
1: to ask you which of the two that was because like like the the movie... So- Uh, It's hard to tell them apart, but in the film, that's like, that's an ongoing gag too.
3: That's true. And it's, it's even interesting because I was in Hamlet and some of the lines that Guildenstern and Rosencrantz have in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead are transposed from who says it in Hamlet as well. So uh, basically I had to go look up online and go, which one was Gary Oldman again? Because that's (laughs) the one I had a crush on. The other one was a a little bit too snippy. Um, Nothing against Tim Roth. Or his acting abilities, but that character was less kind and innocent. And so, yeah.
1: And also Rosencrantz was the. He's my favorite of the two is the is Guildenstern. Although my favorite character in that in that Mm. play is uh, the leading player who Richard Dreyfus played him in the movie. Um, Fantastic. Fantastic choice. All right. So. Thank uh, you.
3: Fun fact. Yeah. I was Rosencrantz in Hamlet.
1: Fun fact. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead is one of the only plays I ever dropped out of. Okay, so my next crush, crush number two, which I I had concurrently with Marianne Summers, was Wonder Woman, as played by Linda Carter. I don't know that I need to explain why. She was amazing, she kicked butt, Mm -hmm. she was competent and intelligent, and never backed down from any of the bad guys. And she was gorgeous as well. So like all of those things together. Plus she could change her outfit just by twirling in place. You know,
3: I tried that as a young girl, was not as successful as Wonder Woman was. Does your crush extend to Wonder Woman beyond Linda Carter?
1: No, it's specifically the Linda Carter version of Wonder Woman.
3: Gotcha, gotcha. I really like Wonder Woman because she is such a uh, competent warrior mm-hmm. she she's 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 very like ah go get him so i I really like she can also be very kind but I like that she is sometimes interpreted as just a sorry for the language a badass
1: I mean I said ass effect earlier I think you're okay who's your number two fair enough
3: um okay so I'm gonna say doctor who
1: I'm gonna say um, it's the Christopher Eccleston one.
3: Yes, yeah. yes, uh, and, and I think that's because. Okay, so for me, Doctor Who should not the Doctor should not be a romantic character. Whenever they in uh, bring in a romantic plotline, I always get really bored with it. I like I like that character to be kind of outside of it. That being said, while Tom Baker was my first Doctor, I remember watching. Eccleston was the first of the new series and just I think that excitement of here's this character that I love that I want to go like I want to go on these wonderful adventures with him it looks like so much fun uh, came back and Eccleston just had this great balance of quirky with solemnness that just was really brilliant I like the moment that he reached out and grabbed Rose's hand in the first episode and and said come with me like that was just like Ah, yes, I am into this. And um, yeah, I I loved him. You know, Christopher Eggleston ain't bad looking, but it was just, he's he's got this really great charm about him. And it's just a story I already loved. Uh, kind of along those lines, Peter Pan. Uh, although Peter Pan is a much uh, meaner spirited character, but that whole idea of like, yes, let's go away and adventure is very appealing to me. I,
1: uh, I was not, I was not on board with doctor. Like I, you know, me, I tried to watch doctor who Mm -hmm. and I was not getting into it until there was an episode where the doctor figures out a solution where he realizes he can save everybody. And he actually, you know, gets excited and says everybody lives. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment where I actually got emotionally invested in the character because it was the first time that I saw the doctor seem to actually care about people and not just we're going on a crazy adventure, but he, you learn that he genuinely cares for people. It's just that he's kind of built up defenses around that and mm-hmm. hasn't let on to that. But when, and that moment when he realizes he can save everyone, all of that comes crashing down. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and then I, then I got that it. is.
3: That is one of my favorite episodes. You know, the the laws of time travel are a a cruel, cruel mistress, so I could only imagine it would take a toll on an individual.
1: All right. My number three, Dana Scully from The X-Files. Interesting. Yeah. So here's the thing about Scully that I loved. She, well, multiple things. Capable, incredibly intelligent. She knew, uh, like... The procedure, she was of a very critical thinking kind of nature, very skeptical. To me, the most frustrating thing about X-Files is that Dana Scully was consistently giving the right information, the right answers, the right procedure, and was consistently wrong. And that's what drove me nuts, is because Mm -hmm. she was doing everything a critical thinker should do. It's just that she happened to inhabit a universe where the supernatural was real And the only thing that got frustrating was that season after season, you started to say, okay, I get that. She's a critical thinker by nature. However, she also has been through multiple years of crazy stuff going on around her. And she still is of the mind to say, well, that's just not possible. I'm like, come on lady. You've seen people climb up walls and control stuff with their minds. (laughs) That part got a little (sighs) frustrating, but The way that character was presented was really appealing to me.
3: Nice. Nice. I don't have much to say on that. I didn't watch X-Files, but I think that, you know, that's a great choice.
1: Okay. You're number three.
3: Okay. My number three is Jack Kelly from Newsies.
1: Uh, (laughs) Is he the one who's going to Santa Fe?
3: He's the one going to Santa Fe. He's a rogue with a heart of gold and he can sing and dance like it doesn't. It it can be Christian Bale. It can be any of the Broadway actors. It is entirely character based, not at all actor based. I just I wanted to live in the newsies world. It's not a great world to live in. But
1: no, like when Mr. Hurst is around, you're not going to have a good time.
3: That is true. Okay, number four. Oh, wow.
1: Okay, yeah. Moving right along. Uh, Willow Rosenberg from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Willow was the one I had the crush on, not Buffy. I thought Willow was adorable. She was smart. She was vulnerable. She grew as a character, became more capable, more self-confident. I didn't always agree with some of the choices that the writers made in developing her character. I felt that some of them were inconsistent or they weren't really, you couldn't really support some of the choices based on the, the, the earlier stuff from that character. That being said, Mm -hmm. I really liked Alison Hannigan's uh, portrayal of the character. I loved her sort of awkward nerdiness. Um, And I loved her Mm -hmm. sense of humor and she, I had a huge crush on that character. Uh, Clearly not a crush on the actress. She has played other characters that I found absolutely abhorrent. So, (laughs) so it's literally (laughs) that character. So at least I recognize the difference, right? Because there are a lot of actors who have stories about fans who have crushes on a character they played and they just project that that character is the same as the actor. Um, You're number four.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my number four is Dimitri from Anastasia slash Kale Tucker from Titan AE. Is
1: is that the bat?
3: No, it's (laughs) the romantic interest and the lead character, respectively. So you're not
1: a fan of Bartok? I'll say this.
3: (laughs) Oh, I adore Bartok, but I did not have a crush on him. I wanted to put him in my pocket and carry him around for comedic relief, but I didn't have a crush on him. But the reason why those two are slashed together is because at the time those two came out, I remember me and my friends would always go, it's the same character, just with different colored hair. They're both roguish. They both have a snarky sense of humor and they look kind of similar. Looking back now, I can tell that they're different character types largely, except for in profile. But yeah, just
1: more rogues. Okay, so you gotta type is what I'm learning. Um yes. my fifth and final is, and this is a throwback to our earlier discussion about the MCU, Peggy Carter. Uh Peggy Carter from Captain America slash Agent Carter, because once again, we have an incredibly intelligent, incredibly capable woman, confident in her abilities. Uh she she is aware of people's perceptions of her and can often use that to her own advantage. So while she is constantly and consistently faced with unfair situations, she also knows how to maneuver within those to get to her goals, even though it's unfair that she should have to maneuver through them. Um, I really admired the character. And I I also, I mean, you know, again, absolutely gorgeous character, like those hairstyles and everything that just Mm -hmm. that I'm a sucker for them. So Uh, And that red hat, oh, that red fedora. Yeah, that was such so pretty. I'm not a fashion guy typically, or a costume guy that much, but but they really picked great looks for the character, and um, yeah, it was Mm -hmm. just a a fantastic realization of that that character on screen.
3: Yeah, I mean, I have a crush on her outfits. Um, Yeah, (laughs) and the red hat reminds me of Carmen Sandiego a lot. Um, All right, my fifth crush. I really struggled with this one because I didn't know if I wanted to go new or old because new would be Loki, but I think Bert from Mary Poppins beats out Loki any day.
1: (laughs) Uh, The two are so similar. Are they? Well, I mean, they both bend reality.
3: They do, but one does so out of kindness and goodness and the other one does so out of being a little meanie head. Okay, Um, yeah. (laughs) Bert, Bert is the goodness, kindness. Loki's the meanie he head one. I, I I know Loki is redeeming. I really like that character, but no, Bert, Bert from Mary Poppins, he's so sweet, he's so fun. And Dick Van Dyke when he was young was quite the cutie. So yeah. terrible accent yep, though. That's my fifth.
1: Terrible accent. Terrible accent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I but nasty. if if Loki sings a song about chimney sweeps in the new series, I will be on board for that too
3: hmm. That would be good. Well,
1: we've got our fictional crushes done. If you guys have your own fictional crushes you want to send, don't be creepy. You can do so in our email, which is <laughs> lnc at iheartmedia.com. When we come back from the break, we'll be mashing up a beloved uh, fairy tale character with a musical that is my no joke, my favorite musical of all time. Uh, but hey, I will not be singing this time, so that's something. But that's after this break.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
2: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
4: You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs)
1: Okay, so we're back and, um, we have chosen to mash up together Cinderella, the fairy tale with uh little shop of horrors, which was originally a Roger Corman produced low budget horror comedy that was essentially made on a bet where there was a bet place that can you make a film with this low of a budget, uh, which Roger Corman did manage to do. He produced that film, uh, mostly notable for Jack Nicholson having a really odd cameo. If you've seen the musical, he plays the same character that Bill Murray plays in the, the, the film musical. And then Ashman and Minkin, the same team behind little mermaid and beauty and the beast for Disney wrote a musical version that was, that took the film and adapted it for the stage which then, of course, got adapted into a film directed by Frank Oz. Uh, They changed the ending because the original ending is a downer, so they changed it to be more of a happy ending. Um, And that's the story behind Little Shop of Horrors. I don't think we really need to explain the origin of Cinderella. Pretty much a universal story. I don't think
3: so. Yeah, I will agree. Little Shop of Horrors is one of my favorite musicals. It's also a great love story, which is why I picked it for this mashup.
1: Yeah, uh, less so in the version that I did, but okay.
3: (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, since I agreed to go first on this, this is Cinder Shop of Horrors A Twisted Tale of Plants and Romance. In a small village in the region of York, there lived a poor young man named Seymour Krellbornella. Lord. After his parents died, he was stuck living with his step uncle, Mushnik Krellbornella, and his brothers, stepbrothers, Orrin and Arthur. His uncle and stepbrothers treated him like dirt and called him a slob. They forced him to live and maintain their family flower shop, sweeping the floor and delivering orders. The same flower shop also happened to be a favorite place for the royal family to purchase their flowers for any royal event. One day, the Princess of the Kingdom, Her Royal Highness Christina Ruperta, Gwendolyn Goslin, Carla Alexandra, Francis, Regina, Ancelot, Audrey, yes, Audrey, Audrey, Geraldine, Jane, was having a ball. She stopped by the flower shop to pick just the right foliage for the event herself. She had never been to the flower shop before, but this was the first ball that was all hers. When she and Seymour locked eyes, it was instant chemistry. She ordered the flowers from Seymour and gave him an invitation to stay for the party, to help her care for the flowers during the gala, of, of course. However, Orin and Arthur, who also took to the princess, insisted on helping deliver the flowers themselves, despite the fact that they had never actually done so before. No matter. Seymour would get to see the princess again, and that's all that mattered to him. Her face was as exquisite as a rose. She was as dainty as a daisy, and her gait was as graceful as a bird. However, when the day of the flower delivery and the ball came, the brothers trashed the flower shop so that Seymour would have to stay and clean up. They tossed him a broom and left cackling. Seymour was distraught, but started cleaning. When he opened the door to sweep all the dirt from the broken pots into the backyard of the shop, he noticed three songbirds circling and chirping loudly and frantically near a tree. When he went to look at what their to-do was all about, he saw nothing. He was about to go back back into the shop and mope in his own little corner of the store when something bit his toe. He looked down and there was a knee-high plant. He wasn't sure how he missed it, but that wasn't the oddest thing. The oddest thing was that the plant opened up its mouth and started talking. That's right, boy, it said. I'm your fairy godflower, your friend, your genie. You want to get it? Then listen to me. He unfurled a plan for Seymour to bring the flower plant, fairy godflower thing, to the ball, leaving it in the courtyard. Then he would go into the ball, Seymour would, avoiding the princess and tell his brothers that they had left a plant back at the shop and without it, the princess's order would be incomplete. And then the plant would take care of the rest. It seemed impossible, but so did a talking plant. And so Seymour, daft and dewy-eyed dope that he was, put on a fresh clean apron, his best one, and grabbed the plant and headed nervously to the gala. Uh, It was a lovely night at the ball. I mean, really, a finer night I know you'd never see. (laughs) He placed the plant in the courtyard by the steps of the palace and went to follow the fairy godflower's plans. When Seymour told the brothers of their mistake, they were mad and they dragged him out to the courtyard with them. How could they have missed something and how could he have the gall to call them out on it? Uh, however, as they were doing so, the princess looked in that direction and thinking she saw a glimpse of Seymour, followed shortly behind, dodging her way through the guests. When the brothers and Seymour got to the courtyard, the plant got fairy godflower opened up and ate the brothers. Seymour was so frightened that he grabbed the plant and ran away, dropping the plot pot as the plant was in as he did. Uh, he went to retrieve it but he saw the princess coming out of the castle and he didn't want to be caught with murder charges of his brother so he left and slipped away before she could see him when the princess reached the courtyard there were no brothers and no Seymour only one lone flower pot when Seymour got back to the shop he threw the flower into the yard and locked the door behind him distraught the next day the princess ventured to the village to return the pot to the flower shop to see if it was his and in hopes of seeing Seymour again She saw the fairy godflower laying in the yard of the shop and placed it in the pot. It fit perfectly, and she knew that it was Seymour. She glanced at the ball. Just then, however, the plant reared up to eat the princess. Thankfully, Seymour was on his way out of the shop just at that moment to destroy the plant and caught him trying to eat the princess. Knowing that a fight would end badly for everyone, Seymour made a deal with the plant. He would let the plant take over the shop and the village if the plant would let Seymour escape with the princess. The princess was so in love with Seymour that she agreed, and together they abandoned the village to the mean green mother and fled to somewhere that's green to live happily ever after.
1: Wow. Uh, my story is a little darker than yours, <laughs> so prepare yourself. <laughs> um, okay. Also, I, I have a pun in mind that I am so proud of that uh, I just, I'm going to take a moment to bask in how great the pun is and how thankful I am that you didn't steal it. So here we go. <clears throat> Okay. We open on a cottage on Skid Row. The inhabitants of said cottage are Lady Mushnick, her daughters, Drizella and Anastasia, and her stepdaughter, Cinder Krellborn, so-called because she must make her bed in the cinders of the fireplace, which is very hot and burny. Lady Mushnick barely tolerates her stepdaughter, forcing her to do tons of chores and to serve as the physical laborer for the family's meager business, a pumpkin shop. Cinder Krellborn has no real education, no prospects, and no ambition. Cause when you live on Skid Row, ain't no such thing. She sings out her feelings (laughs) with a tune, In My Own Little Corner of Skid Row, downtown. Her stepsisters tell her to shut up. Cinder Krellborn hears that the local palace is to throw a magnificent ball in order for the resident prince to meet all suitable, well, suitors. She dreams of getting to see the palace, to wear a magnificent gown, and to perhaps even catch sight of the prince himself, but of course, she's a lowly orphan working in a pumpkin shop on Skid Row. However, she does have one thing going for her. A few weeks earlier, she had been at the village market looking at pumpkin plant cuttings to try and help create stronger pumpkin plants for the shop back home when there was a total eclipse of the sun, which we hear about in a song called Bippity Boppity Dadoo. After a weird flash of light, and a sound as if something from another world, there's a big golden pumpkin plant sitting where Cinder Krellborn was sure nothing had been before, but the old man running the shop sold it to her anyway, for $1.95, and she took it back home. She called it the Gus Gus Gus, in honor of Gus Gus, the mouse. The pumpkin was like no other, with a mouth and teeth and stuff, very odd. Cinder Krellborn takes the pumpkin plant out and puts it on display, and it quickly starts to get the attention of the neighborhood. On the one hand, Lady Mushnick is thrilled. She suddenly has customers, and the money starts to enter the family coffers. On the other hand, she's supremely irritated that Cinder Krellborn is getting more attention than her own daughters, and she consistently finds excuses to push Cinder Krellborn into the background. And the ball is getting closer. Cinder Krellborn's stepsisters both plan on going, but Cinder Krellborn still has no plans of her own. And then, one night, after the shop closes and Cinder Krellborn is crying in the cinders because her stepsisters have been cruel and she has no hope of going to the ball, Gus, 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 the pumpkin, actually speaks to Cinder Krellborn. It asks her to feed it, and Cinder Krellborn doesn't know what to do. But then, the plant launches into a song called Impossible. About a talking plant. In the middle of the song is a big dance number with the mice. But Gus Gus loses his balance, and as he falls, Gus 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 manages to chomp down on his namesake. Cinder Krellborn oh. is at first horrified, but then the plant grows much bigger before her eyes and promises her that if she feeds it, it will make her dreams come true. It's her fairy, Gourd Mother, and it fulfills her wishes. Oh. What follows is a montage of Cinder Krellborn feeding her animal friends, you no, know, mice and birds and stuff, to the hungry pumpkin, which chomps down on those little suckers like they're jalapeno poppers at TGIF. Soon, the pumpkin plant is the size of a carriage, and it tries to convince Cinder Krellborn to feed it larger critters, something Cinder Krellborn resists. And the night before the ball, Cinder Krellborn is caught out by her two stepsisters, who find her arguing with Gus, Gus, Gus. They crow over their discovery, and they complain that Cinder Krellborn gets all the luck by finding a magic plant, and they sing The Stepsister's Lament. And at the peak of their song, Gus 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 eats them both, leaving only their feet behind. Cinder Krellborn is horrified and relieved at the same time, and the toughest choice she now has to make is, does she take Drazilla's dress or Anastasia's dress? Gus 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 tells her to go with Drizella's outfit but Anastasia's shoes, which are still on her dismembered feet. Cinder Krellborn goes to the ball and meets the prince. They share a dance, but just then, she's spotted by Lady Mushnick, who is looking for her own daughters who were supposed to be at the ball. Mushnick tries to confront Cinder Krellborn at midnight, who then turns tail and runs home, which happens to be supper time for Gus Gus Gus, another song. The prince follows behind. Cinder Krelborn gets home with Mushnik right there with her. She confronts Cinder Krelborn, but then sees how big Gus 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 has grown and is amazed. She tells Cinder Krelborn that she'll release her from her duties if Cinder Krelborn just explains how to take care of the plant. Cinder Krelborn, seeing no other option, lures Mushnick closer to Gus Gus Gus, who then promptly eats Cinder Krelborn's stepmother, just as the prince comes in, the prince sees Gus 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 slurp down Mushnik's leg and screams. At which point, Gus 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 grabs the prince and eats him too. Mmm, charming, says Gus Gus Gus. Cinder <laughs> Krellborn, horrified, grabs a nearby axe and leaps into the pumpkin's gaping maw, helping, hoping to rescue the prince. And we fade to black as we hear the last song, the Don't Feed the Plants Waltz, the end. What? <laughs> So I, I, went, I
3: was about to say I went with the
1: original ending of <laughs> Little Shop.
3: I can tell, I can tell, and and kind of the more original Cinderella story too. Yeah, of feet mm-hmm. feet uh, horribleness. Uh, I was gonna say that's closer than we've gotten on almost any other mashups so far, though. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I I decided to uh, also have a few Rodgers and Hammerstein nods in mind, just as you did yours. I I picked up mm-hmm. on those, so. That was fun because, of course, you know <laughs> we also had nods to the Disney version of Cinderella, so that was fun. Yes, but uh, yeah, you can you can understand why I won't be writing any treatments for Disney's fairy tale division anytime soon.
3: No, but you might have a future with Marvel. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> dear listeners, if you have a better idea of how Little Shop of Horrors and Cinderella should be mashed up, or if you want to share your fictional crushes with us or just tell us what you'd like us to talk about on the show, please reach out to us. Yes,
1: you can email us again. That email address is lnc at iheartmedia.com. You can tweet us. We are lnc underscore podcast. You can post to our Facebook or Instagram accounts. We're Large Nerdron Collider at both of those. And also remember, if you like the show, tell a friend, leave a review. Both of those things help us out a lot. And we really appreciate it.
3: Yeah. And make sure you subscribe as well. And until next time I have been Ariel Caston,
1: and I've been a dentist and a success.
3: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek
6: to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Some 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
2: Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh?
6: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some
2: waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood
6: forest would be cool.
2: I'm in. Ah,
6: ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait.